0: Well, before we dig into God's Word, I just wanted to uh, mention a couple of items, just so that we're all aware. If you were not able to be here Wednesday evening, we approved a new budget for the new fiscal year, and we're going to make some of those available uh, on Sunday, next Sunday. If you didn't get a copy, there might be a few copies still around, but we'll have more printed. And today, there's a blue report, financial report, that's in the back and in the foyers, and that's one that... um, I forgot to have printed up for Wednesday, so that was my fault. It's a kind of a report of the student center loan, and that was commented, but now you can have a printed copy of that report in the back. And um, now, if you weren't able to be here Wednesday, I hope that you will make definite plans to be here next Sunday evening for the installation service for Pastor Jacob and Lindsay. We are so excited for that. It will be an important evening in the life of our church, so I hope that all of you will plan to be here and that the worship center will be full. Uh, Lord willing, Pastor Jacob's parents will plan to be with us on that evening, and so be sure to welcome them and meet them and plan for a great night on next Sunday evening, June the 4th in the evening. In the morning services next Sunday is Graduate Sunday, so we're going to be recognizing all of our recent high school graduates that are graduating in these days and we're going to just honor them and recognize them some and so it'll be a celebration for them and their families and we, we look forward to that. And also we have available in the back a list of our graduates and the schedule of their open houses. So be sure to pick one of these up. We would uh, it's, it's a great way for a church family just to support one another and to support our young people, if, you, if at all possible, to just attend their open house and show your support and encouragement to them, and the schedules are in the back. Well, I uh, want to thank all of you for your prayers for Sarah and I in these recent days, especially for our next ministry. I have a little bit of news. Lord willing, in July, we will begin serving with Marketplace Chaplains And I will be ministering as a chaplain to several businesses in Porter and LaPorte counties. And I'm very excited for this. They requested a bilingual chaplain for some of those businesses, and that's right up my alley. So we're excited to begin serving with marketplace chaplains. And basically, we're a chaplain, I'll be a chaplain to all of the employees of a particular business. And these are business owners that are faith minded or Christians and they see the value of having a chaplain come into their place of work and one day a week and make rounds with the employees to pray with them, to counsel with them, to encourage them. And it's been around for years. I wasn't really aware that a ministry like this even existed, but it's very popular around the country. And even here in the Midwest, it's quite popular. And they have statistics to show that it boosts, employee satisfaction, employee productivity, and employee retention, all of these good things for the business, while at the same time being a spiritual blessing and an emotional encouragement to all of the employees. And so that's what Marketplace Chaplains does, and I'm looking forward to serving with them starting in July. Before we begin with that, Sarah and I plan to take a little bit of vacation time together in June, so it is likely that uh, June 11th will be our last Sunday here, that's the plan, and um, you know, I'm so thankful that this transition with Pastor Jacob has gone so well, and he and Lindsay are off to a great start, they are just doing a wonderful job, uh, whether it's with the staff, or visiting folks in the hospital, or just connecting with so many of you, and all of the rest, I'm just so uh, thankful for Pastor Jacob and Lindsay and how the Lord has brought them to serve here at Lake Hills. And we couldn't ask for a finer couple to minister here. And they have gotten another invitation to visit a life group. And I want to encourage your life group to invite the Riggs to come and visit your group and be with you on an evening like that. It's a great way to get to know one another better And that would be great if um, all of the life groups were able to do that. Well, this morning, as we look to God's Word, I want to begin my message with a simple question for you. I ask you a simple question. How do you walk? By that, I mean, like, what is your gait like? How do you move your arms, your shoulders? How do you swing your legs or your feet? What is your swagger about that? What is your swagger? Uh, Have you ever noticed that we all have a particular way in which we walk? I mean, it's recognizable. You can see someone way across the parking lot or way over there, and if you know them well, you can just say, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. I can tell by the way they walk, by the way they carry themselves physically in their walk or their gait. And have you ever even noticed possibly, you've noticed this, I'm sure, that you can recognize their children have a similar way of walking as their parents or one of their parents. Have you ever noticed that? Is I'm the only one? Yes. Uh, and that's how familiar or how identifiable our walk is to others. So then, as we turn that to a spiritual frame, do you walk like a Christian? How is it that a follower of Christ is supposed to walk? What are the strides? What are the movements? And is it noticeable to those around you that, oh yeah, that person, they walk like a Christian. They carry themselves like a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, So... um, We're going to talk about that this morning to answer a simple question, how to walk like a Christian, how to walk like a follower of Christ, and to do that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read there beginning in verse 1, and if you're using the Black Pew Bible that's there in the book rack in front of you, if you did not bring a Bible, you can just borrow that one. And in that Black Pew Bible, all you have to do is turn to page 1345. Page 1345 is going to take you to Ephesians chapter 4. And um, Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a, a large congregation of believers in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very large city in Asia Minor. And so Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers that lived there in Ephesus and were part of a rather large church. And maybe it was the first megachurch ever, right? It was a large congregation. And the theme of Ephesians is that Christ has united all believers into one body, the church, and He is the head of that body. He's the head of the church. Now, the letter of Ephesians is very similar. It's almost parallel to the letter to the Colossians, where it's it's very parallel, and that's where Pastor Jacob has begun preaching. And one of the things that I already, since we first had Pastor Jacob come and candidate, that I appreciate so much about his preaching is how Christ-centered he is in his preaching. And the Colossians, the theme is the supremacy of Christ in all things. And it's the perfect place that he has begun his pastoral ministry by beginning in Colossians. And even when he came to candidate, he preached a very Christ-focused, centered message from Corinthians. And so nothing is is more important than that, And, and I'm so thankful for that. Let's read here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Read with me now the powerful, living, eternal words of God, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, how is that walk? What does that walk, what does the strides look like? Well, verse 2 elaborates, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And we'll end reading there for now. Now, this passage is about the unity of the church. And how we are to walk like a follower of Jesus Christ means that we are to walk in unity. And we are to take the strides that, that uh, lead to unity and cultivate unity. So believers are to walk worthy of Christ, it says, by walking in humility, gentleness, patience, and pa- peace. And all of those will help us to maintain the unity that we have as fellow believers in christ so how does a christian walk well first of all the first way a christian walks is a christian walks in a way that is worthy of christ notice verse one he says i therefore a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right away, we see Paul telling us how to walk. And he says, walk in a way that is worthy of our calling in Christ. Live a life uh, worthy of the calling means, means to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, a sexual integrity, mature behavior a life that expresses gratitude to God for our salvation. And so we're we're so overwhelmed, we're we're so captivated by the, the worthiness of Christ and His sacrifice on our behalf that it compels us to now live a life of gratitude in honor of Christ, and that life is a life of striving to live in unity. Paul says, walk this way. Now, now, to walk, uh, it means to live your daily life as you walk about, as you go about your day. Uh, you know, in early times, most everyone walked everywhere they went. You know, in many places of the world, it's still that way, okay? Now, we take all of that for granted. We don't walk hard. We don't walk enough. You know, we have to have our insurance companies at work pay us to walk 10,000 steps a day, right? And they have all kinds of motivations. I have a friend that, uh, uh, actually, uh, one of my relatives, they won an Apple iWatch just by exercising through their insurance company. They're like, giving you prizes to walk. In most places in the world, (laughs) that's not a problem, because if you don't walk on your own two feet, you're not going to get there ever, because that's the only means of transportation, and that's certainly the way it was in the first century. So you walked everywhere, and Paul is saying where you live everywhere throughout your day. You walk. You walk to work, you go to work, you go to school, you're out with your friends, you're at home. All of these places, you're in your apprenticeship, you're going off to college. All of these places that you go in your day-to-day life, do it in a manner that reflects that you belong to Christ and that you are serious about being like Christ. That's our calling. Christ has called us to Himself in salvation, and He has called us to be like Him in our behavior. That is our walk. That's what And Paul kind of used this term, uh, to walk, as uh, a metaphor for our daily uh, behavior and our, the way we go about our day. And you can see this in Ephesians in several places, and I think we're going to look at one more. But it uses it throughout his Pauline epistles, this idea of our daily walk. I think one really simple application that we all need to be reminded of and uh, is that to live for Christ is not a one-day-a-week activity, is it? It's uh, not just a Sunday thing to be a follower of Christ. It is an everyday, everywhere, it is our daily walk. Now, notice what he says, that this daily walk or this daily way of behaving in everywhere we go, it is to measure up to Christ's calling, and to Christ. It says, to walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ's calling. Now, this idea of of being worthy, even in English, kind of looks like the word worth, doesn't it? Do you see that? Worthy, worth? Well, that's really, even in the Greek language, this, this idea of worthy had the idea of weightiness, And it had the idea of scales. You remember the old-timey scales where you put something on this side and you put an equal weight of balance on this side and you try to balance out the scales, right? You've all seen that. Some of you have probably used those back in the day. Well, that's exactly what this word is talking about. And he's saying that on one side of the scale is Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. And all that he is, and all of his greatness, and his glory, and his supremacy, and Christ as the head of the church, as our Savior, and our living Lord, all of that is on one side. All that he did for us and his sacrifice, that's on one side. And on the other side of the scale is the way you and I live day in and day out of our lives. And he's saying, you should be striving to make that balance out that you are living in a way that is equitable, in a way that is honorable to all of this that Christ has done over here, that we should be living out our lives and striving to live in a way that measures up to all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. Now, that's, that's some pretty heavy stuff. That's challenging for every single one of us. But it, it's really something that we need to reflect upon and ask ourselves, am I walking in a way that... In a manner that is worthy of who Christ is and what Christ has done, you know, um, um, Paul says that he's urging us to do this, and uh, he's exhorting us. You know, I, I, I uh, we can all be exhorted and urged. Uh, Paul's using, he's like, you know, this is really what you need to be doing. I remember one time um, I wasn't walking very worthy of Christ, but I remember this so vividly because I was exhorted by someone. And it just kind of, you know, when you're exhorted and you know you're guilty, you know, it just kind of has a way of ingraining itself into your memory, probably in a good way. And I had a roommate in college. I had like four or six roommates in this. We were in this apartment and they had like six of us crammed in there. You're living with these six other guys and yeah, anyway, one of the guys, he, 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 was, he, was, he just got on my nerves so bad. And he was just like, he kind of shuffled around like Tim Conway, and he just mealy-mouthed the way he spoke under his breath. He kind of mumbled everything, and it just like drove me crazy. And, and I, I didn't really even notice this, or if, if I did, I wasn't recognizing. I just developed this like disdain for this guy. And it came out in my walk. It came out in the way I spoke to him or treated him. And this was going on. And then all of a sudden, one day, one of my other roommates, he just said, Hey, man, what is your deal with Jim? Why are you talking to him? Why are you treating him that way? And it just he, he pulled me up short. Just, and he's, you know, he said just a few things, but he was so spot on. And I was so convicted. And... Um, and I, you know what? It immediately it changed the way I saw Jim, the way I treated Jim, and I want my treatment of him, and we want our treatment of each other to reflect the worthiness of Christ. And it's so practical. It's, this isn't something that you do at church on Sunday, okay? <laughs> this is something that you do in the dorm room Monday through Friday or in your own house. You know, disdain. Toward someone that you live with is a very dangerous and unhelpful thing. It is like, it's going to ruin your relationship. And, and that is not what Christ calls us to walk in that kind of a way. Paul, you know, something that really adds weight to what Paul is saying here, is when he says in the opening phrase of verse 1, when he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of the Lord. Paul was A prisoner when he said these words. He he was striving to live worthy of Christ, and it wasn't like it was easy for Paul. He was a prisoner. Now, if you know much of the life of Paul, Paul was imprisoned at least three different times that we know of. This was his second imprisonment. This was when he was imprisoned in Rome, And he's he's saying, I was a prisoner. He was uh, under house arrest in Rome. He had Roman soldiers there guarding the door of his room there. He was allowed to write. He was allowed sometimes to receive guests, but he did not have freedom. He could not go out. He had armed guards around him, and he didn't know what was next in his life. He was completely trapped and and chained there, and he could not leave. And, um, and he was released. And not, you, you all remember when he was in prison the first time. That was in Philippi when he was beaten. Him, Paul and Silas were beaten. And then they were chained down in the prison and they were singing hymns, right? And, uh, you know, there was a miracle there and they were free. That was the first time. This is the second time. The third time Paul was imprisoned was a few years after this. When Paul was in Rome on this occasion he wrote what we call the prison epistles he wrote ephesians when he said i am a prisoner he was writing ephesians there in that roman uh, house arrest he wrote colossians that's why they're very he wrote them about the same time they're very similar he wrote philippians about joy you know it just it hits different when the person encouraging you to have joy, he's encouraging us to be joyful, he's the one sitting in prison talking about us having joy. It just hits a little different, doesn't it? And he also wrote the, the personal letter to Philemon. These are the four prison epistles that he wrote on, during this two-year period. And scholars, AD 60 to AD 62, and then he was released only four years later to be imprisoned again. But this time it wasn't house arrest. This time he was thrown in a dungeon in a hole in the ground where it was cold, it was dark, he was sick. And that's where, in the, without light, he penned 1, uh, 2, Timothy and that, 2 Timothy, and that's where he ultimately ended his life executed as a prisoner of Rome, in a dark, dank dungeon. This is the man who is telling you and I to live in a way that has humility and patience toward one another, to live in a way that is honoring to the worth of Christ. He's not just saying this from some ivory tower. He's not saying that this is easy. And it's not. But my friend, it carries a little more weight when you see where he's coming from. You know, I I think of... um, I, I, you know, I, mean, I think we all understand that as Western f- Christians, as Western followers of Christ, we have it pretty cushy. I mean, literally, the pew you're sitting on. Okay, let's just start there. <laughs> the air conditioning that we're enjoying right now. And the fact that we, can, we, we went from our air-conditioned house into our air-conditioned car and drove on a smooth, paved, asphalted road to a paved parking lot and walked into an air-conditioned building and sat down on a cushioned pew. Oh yeah, we are suffering for Jesus. But we can't get along. But we can't walk in unity. We can't get along with the people in our own house, or we can't get along with the people at work because they're just so unreasonable and there's so much injustice, and this world is so unfair. And yeah, I just really, I'm a sorry Christian because my life is so hard. No, no, my friends. I think of uh, John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the second greatest selling book of all time after the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. It's, it's, a, it's a book that every Christian should read. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you should read Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison in England. He was, why was John Bunyan in prison? He was in prison for doing what I'm doing right now. And he was in this dark, dungy prison. It was so damp where he was imprisoned that there was moss growing on the walls. It was just damp, like somebody's, you know, the worst basement you've ever seen. That's the way it was. And John Bunyan said, He said, I would rather be in here and let moss grow on my eyelids than to deny my Christ. And he said to them, you know, All he had to do, all he had to do was stop preaching the gospel. This was in England, okay? This was in England. All he had to do was stop preaching the gospel. And they said, you could go free tomorrow. And John Bunyan said, um, he said, if you release me today, I will be preaching the gospel tomorrow. And he stayed, remained in prison. He wrote... <laughs> I don't even understand this. I guess you'd have to research it more. But this is what scholars tell us. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress on the tops of milk bottles, the, the paper stopper that they put in the milk bottles. I don't, know what the, I don't even know how that you do that. But he wrote it on scrap pieces of paper in prison. You know, I think of uh, Richard Warmbrand. Richard Warmbrand uh, is another book that every Christian should read. This is, if You buy your teenager this book for summer and have him read it. It's called Tortured for Christ. Richard Warmbrand was a Romanian Jewish pastor. He was Jewish, but he had converted to Christianity through the through another Jewish pastor who had evangelized him in Romania, and Richard Warmbrand became a Romanian Lutheran pastor. And um, in, in the late 40s or early 50s, Romania fell to the Soviet Union, and Romania became a, overnight became a communist country and became an atheistic state. And so all churches and all Bibles and all preachers were outlawed. This was in the early 50s. He was, um, he was arrested. All the churches went underground immediately. All of the Christians, they had to hide, and they had to gather in secret secret locations at secret times. And, they, and Richard Warmbrand was arrested. He was imprisoned on various occasions for a total of 14 years for, for preaching the gospel, for being a pastor, and they tortured him relentlessly. They, they um, he had uh, he had multiple bones broken, four vertebrae in his back, many other bones. They carved him in over a dozen places. They burned him. They cut eighteen holes in his body. They, on one occasion, he, he and the other pastors, what they were doing is they were trying to torture them to get them to reveal the names of the Christians and the locations of the secret churches, and they wouldn't do it. And on one occasion, they had, him, they had him and the other pastors in solitary confinement in these little cells that were underground. There was no sunlight. For three years, he saw no sunlight, he saw no moonlight, all he saw was that four walls of that dank cell, and the only people he saw were those who came in to torture him. And they, they made him sit in a chair erect for days without sleeping. And, that, and when they would finally throw him back into his cell, do you know what he would do? He would... Um, He began, him and the other pastors and other Christians that were in prison, they learned, I can't even do it very well, they learned to tap Morse code on the walls. And he would tap in Morse code Bible verses to encourage the prisoner in the cell next door. And they would encourage one another. To be faithful, to not deny their Lord, to not give in, and to remain faithful. He was a prisoner of the Lord. And Richard Warnbrand, John Bunyan, if they were here today, they would say the same thing that the other prisoner, Paul, said walk worthy, live in a manner. That measures up to all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. What does that look like? Well, let's go on. It says that it looks like humility and gentleness. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, walk with all humility and gentleness. Humility is not a popular word. It wasn't a popular word in Paul's day. It was was actually a very negative, derogatory word. The word is low-minded. And it it was a negative thing in that part of the world, in that culture. It was Christianity who took the word and began to use it as a virtue. And so I think we need to realize that unlike the world, in our Christian ethos, humility, is a virtue that we are called upon to demonstrate toward one another in an effort to maintain our unity. Christ taught us this when he told us, the greatest among you will be the servant. When he said, Paul wrote in Philippians, he said, let this same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Think of others as more important than yourselves. And then I believe it was uh, the other God, uh, New Testament writer who said, honor all people. This is what makes us distinguishable as Christians. That we carry virtues. We in our in our walk, in our day-to-day activity, we are demonstrating virtues that, that the world doesn't understand. That I mean, it really stands out. Do you remember? Um, do you remember. The famous, I mean, I know you remember, the famous moonwalk by Michael Jackson. Remember the moonwalk? I mean, it, it captured our entire culture by storm. I don't know if that was in 86 or whenever it started. But now, I mean, like the moonwalk, and it, 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 it just mesmerized everyone because they saw that and they said, How does he do that? How do you walk that way? You're moving, you're walking forward, but you're going backwards. I don't understand that. And that, you know what? It's the same with a Christian. Walks in a way that the world says, what? I don't get that. I don't understand that. It's so different than the way I think and the way I walk. Do you know what? It, it, it captures the attention of the world. I can moonwalk. Do you want to see my moonwalk? You want to see? Are you ready for this? That's that's the only moonwalk I've got for you guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wish I could moonwalk, but I can't. There's another characteristic of the way we walk. And that is patiently and forbearingly, it says in the second part of verse 2. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what this means? It just means... uh, that you're patient with people, that you put up with their personalities and their idiosyncrasies. That you, you just kind of put up with them. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sinful things, obviously. I mean, you can still call them out, but they're not going to be perfect tomorrow. But the, you know what? Bearing with one another in love is exactly what I was not doing with that roommate all of those years ago. Until... I got called out on it. I wonder if God's calling you out today on your kind of ornery, impatient, irritability, disdain for the people that live under the same roof as you. And it's not Christ-like. It's not measuring up at all. Treat others the way you want to be treated, with grace and patience and respect and love in your daily life. That's not how many people around you may behave. But don't behave like them. You behave like Christ. You know, this summer is a, is a great opportunity because maybe you're going to go on a road trip with someone. with <laughs> someone's. You're going to be in a car for hours with your family members, your little brother or sister, or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's opportunity. You know, let's make it a good summer. But you know what? Even better than that, let's make it a godly summer as you're at home with your family, as you're going about your summer activities, as you go to camp or wherever you end up going in your day-to-day walk by being patient and bearing with one another. And your Bible might say forbearing. It's just putting up with other people in their irritating ways. You know, um, then notice, lastly, he says in um, verses 4 through 6, let's, uh, well, let's look at verse 3 when he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is to walk in unity. And that's kind of the summary of it all, to walk uh, in patience and forbearingly. And, and uh, ver- all of verse 2, he said, all of that is the way that you end up walking in unity and maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He said we're to be eager to maintain this. So we're working hard to keep the unity that we already have in Christ. We're not creating unity. We already are unified in Christ. What we have to do is we have to maintain that spirit of unity in the way we act and treat one another. And it's hard. You have to work hard at it. You have to be eager, you're intentional, you're actually focusing on being conscious of walking in a way that is um, with humility and gentleness and patience, because you are trying your best to maintain unity. It's hard work, you have to put forth effort. You know, I remember uh, years ago, I was probably tw- 11 or 12 years old, I was like in the, probably the sixth grade, I was probably like 12 years old. And they came around with the March of Dimes. It was a fundraiser that we could sign up for, the March of Dimes, and, we, and it was for a charity, obviously. And so you had to get sponsors. And then on a particular Saturday, <coughs> Saturday we were going to go walk on a walk-a-thon. We were going to walk 20 miles in one day. That was the deal. And they had, it, our town wasn't small, they had it mapped out all around town, and you had like, you know, a few hundred people signed up, and a lot of them were my classmates. We were signed up for this walkathon, a thon and we started walking about nine o'clock that morning. We walked 20 miles, I walked, through all, I'd, I walked through parts of our town that I had seen from a car, but I had never physically been out there in those places. We walked all the way through town, the other side of town, the other side. We went to a different town. And we, and you know what? We got about halfway through. We stopped for lunch. We were exhausted. We had to get back. We were walking some more. This may be a little bit too, too much information, but we were like raw on our thighs. When we finally got done, I went home Saturday evening exhausted and I got in the bathtub, and I just soaked in the bathtub for like an hour. This is like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. But you know what? It felt good. I felt like I had accomplished something. Me and my friends had a great time. But it was a lot of work. It was a lot of effort. And Paul is saying, be eager to work hard at walking in unity with patience and gentleness and uh, grace and love and forbearance and then notice um, verses um, verses 4 through 6 notice he kind of um, he kind of summarizes all of this uh, with uh, these expressions in verses 4 through 6 notice what it says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call this is actually scholars, really believe that this was, an Paul is quoting these three verses, and it's an early church creed or an early church hymn. That Paul is, you know, he's using an illustration in his writings here, and he's quoting something that they all knew and perhaps even sung or certainly repeated in their services. Now, Baptists typically aren't real big on creeds uh, just because, you know, uh, we, we just want the Bible. We don't want what people think about the Bible. We just want the Bible. You know, like uh, the reformer said, sola escritura, you know, only Scripture, right? So the Baptists take that very literally. and We don't want other books or other creeds or things like that, generally speaking. But maybe we lose something in all of that. You know, we have quoted the Nicene Creed here or some modern version of it from time to time. But that appears to be what is happening here, that the early church sang these kinds of things or had these kinds of creeds as a way of discipling each other and indoctrinating each other in their services. And, and, And this creed is all about the unity that we have as fellow believers in our triune God. And so he starts out talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, he talks about our unity in God the Father. Let me read it again, and you can notice all of this with me. He says, there is one body and one spirit. So there's one church, right? The church of Jesus Christ. That we're all believers, New Testament believers, are part of the body of Christ. And one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who who brought us into that body. Just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call. And then he goes on and he, now he's going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the unity we have in one Lord and one faith in one baptism. So we have all have one common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've all been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's part of our unity. And then he says, and one God and Father of all. This is God the Father who is all of ours, Father, who is over all; He's sovereign over all. He is through all, and He is in all of us. And so we have this unity that we we share. And Paul is just kind of emphasizing it with this creed. Now we don't have time to look at all of this passage, and um, you know I think in the email we put out that I put out that the message was part one. Well, there is, there is no part two, okay? <laughs> there is, but we're not going to get to that today. So you say, well, why did you do that? Well, uh, I made a mistake. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a secret about me, okay? For the past eighteen years, you have been past. You have a you have had a pastor that is low key ADHD. <laughs> That's funny, but it's true. If you've ever wondered about some of the things i've done or maybe haven't done that's part of the reason not that it's an excuse but it does help you to understand now the staff right now the staff that's in here they're thinking that's not a secret at all pastor phil we've known that for years (laughs) and my point is this you have been patient with me and gentle and respectful and forbearing with me over all of these years. Many of you have walked like a Christian towards me, and I'm thankful to you for that grace you've shown. And I have tried to walk that way with you and some of your shenanigans too. My friend, that is how the body of Christ maintains unity and honors Christ. So let's continue to walk that way with one another at home or at school or at work. Maybe at work there's not a lot of Christians or maybe it's, I don't know, wherever you go. But maybe you can demonstrate a different way of behaving in your day-to-day way that will stand out and capture their attention when you go off to college or whatever the case may be. You know, um, to be forbearing and gentle and patient and different to walk like a Christian. You know, the, the 80s, there was an 80s song. You know, the 80s had the, some of the silly, ridiculous music. You know, the, the 70s music, now that is real good music. <laughs> 70s is where it's at. The 80s had, the, you know, these silly hair and these silly songs. There was a song that some of you will remember. Called Walk Like an Egyptian. Do you remember that song? Walk like, and it had this goofy dance, you know, walk like an Egyptian. Paul is saying, no, don't walk like an Egyptian, walk like a Christian. Don't like walk like the lost world around you, walk in a manner that honors and pleases Christ. And maybe you find yourself among one another as believers. And you're kind of slipping. You're kind of forgetting. Oh yeah, that's not really how a Christian honors Christ. By talking that way or behaving that way. Or maybe you need to exhort a brother in Christ like someone exhorted me one time. And just give a gentle reminder. And encourage others to walk like Christ. Let's bow together for prayer this morning.